according to other traditions, it's found in the middle of something that all of a sudden, it just appears at a drop there. Why is it here? We leave the instruction of the word of God for Joseph and his brothers as they sold him into slavery. And then the following two chapters, we see the historical context of Joseph being in Egypt. But in chapter 38 of the book of Genesis, all of a sudden, it's Judah and Tamar. Nothing else about Joseph is in this particular passage. It's not a very good passage, I would say that, to take your children through and read to, because there are some things that happen here that aren't very clean. I'm not here this morning to propagate events that happen in this particular chapter, but I hope I can bring some clarity to you of why this particular chapter is here, but quite frankly, some things happen here that I wouldn't subscribe to. But yet for the purpose of this morning, as we're looking at the matriarchs in the line of the Messiah, we come back to what is listed in the book of Matthew chapter 1, the very first matriarch. Her name is Tamar. You may ask, well then why did you start with the second one, which was Rahab? And I did that because Rahab is more familiar to us. And I wanted to introduce this particular series from a point of familiarity that at least you would come on board. But this morning we're going back and, and beginning with the first one. Her name is Tamar. Tamar is not the same. There's another Tamar in the scriptures that Absalom later on in the book uh, talks about Absalom coming and uh, bringing back to her honor by killing somebody. Uh, this is not the same person. In this particular Tamar, we'll find out how she played into the role of the messianic line. You may not know this, but our series of Walk Through Bethlehem on Thursday night began on a low note. We had three individuals that were up against it. Some of you might know, but maybe y'all don't. You can pray for her. Uh, uh, Donna uh, Hauser, who was Rick V's uh, wife, she fell. Thursday she fell at work and broke her arm this bone up here. Presently, it's in a sling, hoping that, uh, seeing that it was a clean break, that it would start to heal itself, and then they could cast it. But they're waiting till next week for her to go back to the doctor. They'll take another x-ray, and if it is not beginning to heal properly, then they're going to have to do surgery. So uh, remember Donna. Uh, Richard Ziders decided to fall. Uh, Thursday. I'm sure it wasn't something he planned, but uh, though we're thankful that he didn't have any stitches, but as I spoke with him on, on uh, Friday morning, or uh, yeah, Friday morning, I found out that he was going for an x-ray 
to see if any of the bone was chipped around his eye socket. Is Louise, is he okay? Is there any chips there? Okay, that, that report will come back till tomorrow. But apparently the, the right side of his, his face is pretty, uh, pretty scarred up. Peter looked really good as being a magi, I tell you. <laughs> but uh, he decided that it was something that he could not do, and so he wanted to make sure of that. And then Alexis, who uh, was here Friday and even on Saturday evening, uh, Thursday evening, she was under the weather, and so we... We looked at it, and as I found that information, I said to my wife, God's up to something. God's going to do something great beyond what we could even imagine. We looked at it as being, oh, no, what are we going to do? But God says, trust me, I'll show you what I'm going to do. And so this morning, let's, before we get into our passage and time will fleet us, let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you again for your grace. Thank you for your perfect gift, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. We, at times, try to bring our own lambs, (laughs) our lambs of pride, our lambs of self-confidence, and we think that we can offer them up to you as as a sacrifice, but your word tells us that Jesus Christ is the only Lamb of God who willingly came and was born amongst men, walked amongst men. The scriptures talk about him tabernacle with us. He lived with us. And then he willingly shed his blood for us that we might have eternal life by grace through faith. And so, Lord, it is good to look in your word and see how the events that affected the line of the messianic coming, the king, we're grateful that we are introduced to people. People who are just like us, people who lived just like we do, and yet even in their mistakes, you graciously protected that which was precious. That reminds us, each and every one of us, that we too make mistakes. And yet it is by your blood, whereby John reminds us, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful relationship that is. A relationship of being the bride of Christ relationship of knowing full well that our sustenance and all that we have comes from you. And Lord, we're grateful for that. What seemed to start us out on this ministry outreach of walk through Bethlehem, we were faced with, with things that we didn't plan for. The individuals that the situations happened to, I know that they didn't plan for that either. And so we, we lift up to you, uh, Donna Hauser, and we asked, Lord, that her arm would heal properly, that she would not require surgery to repair. But yet, Lord, she, as Rick says, Lord, whatever you desire, we're here. And so, God, I pray that your grace and your glory would 
shine upon them. And as Donna waits for her next test uh, this coming week, may her spirit be quieted by your presence. Give to her, Lord, the healing that you would desire. Our same prayer for our our good friend Richard. uh, He missed a step, but he caught the rail. But he didn't catch it with his hand. He caught it with the side of his face. And I pray, Father, that you would continually to heal him. Thank you, Lord, for using him for your honor and glory. And even in the midst of this situation, we know that he's still praising you. So, Father, you use him. There may be a x-ray technician. There may be a doctor, a nurse, or someone who you would have him to speak forth the words of life, to let people know that Jesus Christ loves them so much that he died for them, and all they need to do is just believe and have eternal life. Lord, to our prayers go out to Alexis and the situation she found herself in on Wednesday night, not feeling well, and, and future tests that may be in her particular coming history i i pray oh god that you would guide the wisdom of doctors and help her in that situation as we come to your word this morning lord i pray that you would teach us we need to hear from you the reality of this passage is striking it causes us to uh, halt if you will on our ecclesiastical horses and say, well, if that was me, I would have never done that. Well, we need to look at this word as life. And it is here because you determined it to be here for a reason, for a purpose. So teach us this morning, O Lord God, the the truths that are in this particular passage as we look at the life of Tamar and this particular matriarch in the line of the Messiah. Grant these things, O Lord, not in our strength, but in your glory. And we'll thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. Genesis chapter 38. It would do us well to read the chapter, though it is 30 verses, but yet it will unveil for us, I believe, the purpose of why it is here. Genesis chapter 38. It says, and it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was, was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her and went into her. And so she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. She conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Chezeb when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife of Forer, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, And the Lord killed him. Now that ought to cause you to stop right there. What in the world did this guy do that God would see of his wickedness and killed him? We'll talk about that a little bit later. 
But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass, as he went into his brother's wife, that he emitted on the ground, lest he should give her an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore the Lord killed him also. Huh. Who's next? Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a woman in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted, and he went up to his sheep shearers in Timnah. He and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place, which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given to him as a wife. And then Judah saw her. He thought she was a harlot, because she had her face covered. Then he turned to her by the way and said, Please let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, Will you give me a pledge till you send it? And then he said, What pledge shall I give you? So she said, Your signet and cord and, and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no such harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said that there was no harlot in the place. Then Judah said, Ah, just forget it. I, I just paraphrase that for you. Ah, just forget it, let it alone. Verse 24, And it came to pass, about three months after Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. And when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please, determine whose these are, the signet and cord and staff. So Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Shelah, my son, and he never knew her again. Now it came to pass at the time of giving birth, and behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, This one came out first. 
Then it happened as he drew back his hand, and his mother came, and his brother came out unexpectedly, and she said, How did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward his brother came out, who had the scarlet thread in his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Tamar. This individual in Genesis 38. The first thing we see concerning this particular woman, this Miss Matriarch in the line of Messiah, is that she was rejected. She was rejected. In fact, the Bible's account begins after Judah, one of Jacob's 12 sons, moved to a Canaanite royal city of Adullam. Then he married a Canaanite woman, as we have read it, and her name was Shua, and she bore him three sons, Ur, Anan, and Shelah. Judah arranged for Ur to marry Tamar. And what's interesting, though, Ur, having wickedly done so before the Lord, the Lord killed him. What's interesting in, in Ur's name leads us to a slight understanding of why the Lord killed him. His name in Hebrew means wandering eyes. And yet here we see that maybe, just maybe, he was not faithful in his relationship to his wife so wickedly as one commentator says that he was even involved in homosexuality. We don't know that for sure. The text is not clear on that. All we do know is that his wickedness was so bad that God killed him. And then the text tells us that Onan, when it was told to go in to have relations with Tabar in order that she could have a son to carry on the, the name. And yet he reasoned with himself that if I do this, this is not going to be my child. So I, I'm just going to uh, uh, just play the part. And yet in that, God killed him. And then Judah made a promise. When Shelah gets old enough, I'll make sure that he marries you so that you can have offspring. But as we know in the text later on, Judah lied. Tamar was rejected. Rejected from the viewpoint that the fact of it is, is that it was to be, if you will, there was a what is called the Leverite marriage custom, which was the fact that in a line of brothers, if one of the brothers died, that the other brothers were to go into and, and raise up an offspring. This is not anything new to us because in the New Testament in Matthew 22, verses 23 to 33, uh, an individual of the law came to Jesus and began to lay out this plan. He said to Jesus, if there's a wife of a brother and the brother has seven wives, uh, uh, and if the, there are seven brothers, and they all go in and after one dies, the next one comes in, and you know what he's talking about there. 
And then they say to him, when they get to heaven, whose wife is she? So this, this Leverite marriage custom was later on adopted into, if you will, the Mosaic law. During this time, if you know anything about the biblical context, and I'm sure you do, the Mosaic law does not come until the book of Exodus. So what was guided here was, was a tribal law, customs of tribes. In this particular situation, uh, Tamar was to be given an opportunity to have a male child, but, but Judah lied. Tamar was promised by Judah that Shelah would be responsible for providing her an offspring, yet someone say that in the text that Judah, fearing that he would also lose Selah to the same punishment of God, withheld him from her. And then Judah rejected Tamar in his heart, and he had no intention of keeping the promise with, with, with Selah. But yet, all the time we see that during this situation, as Tamar was told by Judah to go back and stay with his father, with her parents, she did that, believing that Judah would carry through his promise. But she found out that that was not true. And so she devised this interesting radical plan. Now, this is where it gets touchy. Uh, please, I am not a proponent of what had happened here. Uh, this is, uh, you, you can find out in scriptures time and time again, when individuals start to take things in their own hands, what happens? Usually it gets messed up. Tamar had a radical plan. And she was told that uh, Judah was going to a place to check on or to have his sheep sheared. And she devised the plan, as the text says, that she was going to remove from herself the garments of being a widow and place on herself the garments of a prostitute or a harlot. And she was then going to go and sit in a place where she knew that Judah would come by. That's her radical plan. So she realized that Judah had lied to her. And Tamar became desperate and devised this radical plan. She disguised herself as a prostitute. She veiled her face and sat by the entrance gate of the town. And Judah, because the passing of his wife, saw her there and asked the question, can I come into you? In other words, can we have sexual relationships? And, and Tamar says, well, what will you pay me for this? A goat. There's a promised goat a kept signet, cord, and staff. The goat wasn't enough. 
Tamar wanted personal items from Judah. You, you kind of suspect that Tamar knew what was coming. She kind of knew that there was also a part of the tribal law that we read in the text that if an individual lady in particular forsakes the Leverite marriage, if you will, custom and becomes impregnated by someone else other than one of the brothers in the line of the family, then she was to be destroyed. And Judah found out that, remember, as we read three months later, and he said, bring her out and let her be burned. I think Tamar knew that. I think she realized that. And so the significance of not just getting the goat, but the significance of having Judah's signet ring, his cord, and his staff for proof. She knew that she was going to have to give an answer. But what is interesting in this whole account and what makes this chapter 38 come to life is this. Is that Judah is caught in the midst of deceit. That reminds us of what happened in chapter 37. Where Judah and his brothers devised a plan of deceit to get rid of Joseph. What's interesting in that is that a goat was used. A goat was slain. And the blood of that goat was put on a garment, Joseph's coat. And it was sent back to the father, saying... And Joseph is dead. It was a whole plan of deceit that Judah was in the midst of it. Now he is on the other end of that. And I think it ties very closely with this verse. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows... That is what he will reap. That brings this whole chapter back. And what's glorious about this chapter is this too, dear brothers and sisters, is this. Is that God loves us so much that when we make a horrendous mistake, when we find ourselves maybe walking away from the claims of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus will put in our path something to remind us to come back. In this particular chapter, we'll get to that. But in this particular chapter, Judah is reminded of something that he did. And it was wrong. And now God is turning the table in order that he would be awakened to what he did. Growing up as a child in upstate New York in a little town called Mohawk, there are only 
two, maybe three people in this congregation know where that is. It would be my wife and my daughter. The rest of you have no clue. Where Mo- well, no, Isaac, you do, and Matt, you know where Mohawk is. You came up from my mother's funeral. But long before that, there was a little town in, in, in the main street, a little store that all the school kids would go to. And, and I'm here to confess to you, I've, I've done this before, but uh, I'm, I'm clean of this, but I'm going to tell you this story anyway. We as school kids, because the owner of that store was a little old man, we knew he couldn't be at two places at once, and so we would think of how much candy can we steal. You go in there and buy a dime's worth of candy, but you walk out with 20 cents worth. Now, I I know I'm not the only one who's done this. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Don't leave me standing here by myself. (laughs) And yet it was later on in my life when someone stole from me. You see, God always brings you back to a place to get your attention to straighten your life. And here's Judah. He's caught in deception. And so Tamar, she returned home and waited. This is the one that's, that's amazing to me. This point that is in this passage is this, is Tamar's righteousness. <laughs> All of you are saying, whoa, 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 whoa. her righteousness? Wait a minute. Do you know what she just did? I'm aware of that. I understand that. But keep in mind, this is pre-Mosaic law. She is guided now by Leverite marriage ceremony, tribal law. I'm not saying that prostitution is okay. No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is don't judge Tamar based upon what you know from the book of Exodus on. Realize of where she is now. Let me give you another example. Without understanding or if you just had the account of Lot... And you look at where he went and what he did. You most likely would look at that and say there's no way that individual is making it to glory. But in the New Testament, Lot's referred to as being righteous. (laughs) So what you've got to do is keep in the text. Tamar, what she did, yes, was wrong. I understand that. We understand that. But not according to tribal law. She wasn't wrong. She's righteous. Why? Well, let's look at Judah's reaction and Tamar's plea. I read it for you. Judah finds out three months later that Tamar's expecting a child and he knows it's not from his son, Shelah. 
It's from an outsider. So she needs to be burned. In fact, he said, bring her out that we can burn her. Well, what does Tamar do? Her plea is this. I'll give you the items that I have. The signet, the cord, and the staff. You find out who they belong to, and that's the individual, this child, who I have. Can you imagine Judah's face at the time that he recognizes that those things belong to him? How do we get... How do we get this as far as Tamar's righteousness? Well, first of all, Tamar did not come out and begin pointing fingers. She never mentioned Judah's name. She never, she never went and accused Judah. She, in her way, was saying to Judah, please... Have mercy on me. Look at these items. Then you decide who the individual is. But did you catch Judah's announcement in verse 26 when he said, She is more righteous than I. Early Messianic writers believe that this is Judah's confession. This is the point of where God got Judah's attention. And Judah confessed that he was wrong. Wrong in his actions of not giving to Tamar Shelah. Wrong in his actions of rejecting, if you will, Tamar. Wrong in his actions, most likely, of even committing sexual sin with Tamar. What's interesting in this is this points to later in the book of Genesis, chapter 49, that it says, out of the line of Judah will come the king. And that's proof Many commentators say that because Judah confessed here, God later blessed there. And that's how it works for us too, dear brothers and sisters. First John 1 9 is very evident that if we confess, God will cleanse and forgive and restore. What a dynamic. And, and, and again, what is evident here is that the grace of God and protecting the kingly line. And because of Tamar's righteousness, future blessings were spoken on other households. And Ruth, when we, we get there, Lord willing, next week, in Ruth chapter 4 and verse 12 when everybody found out that Ruth and Boaz were going to have a child, they blessed Ruth and Boaz by saying, may the blessing of Tamar rest upon your household. 
which means that Tamar became associated with God's blessing. What do we get from conclusion? Well, first of all, this. God perfectly sustained the messianic line even in the midst of this dubious method. We should know by now that the works of man cannot halt God's plan. The designs of man cannot in any way interfere, interrupt with the plan of God. Call it sovereignty, if you will, but yet in, the, in reality of it, even in everyday life that we live and are surrounded with, God's plan is still moving on. And it will be culminated with Jesus Christ coming and establishing his kingdom upon this earth. Nothing is going to stop that. Time is moving in God's plan. And here is another instance of God's plan to keep the messianic line that we read last week in Matthew chapter 1. Yes, each and every one of those names that are listed there, the, the five ladies and all the other men, but there's only one name that is perfect in that line, and it's the last name, which is Jesus. The rest of us, we got problems. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God's the answer, amen? He's the answer. The second is this. And according to rabbinical teaching, and I want to read this for you, there is a significance to the signet, the cord, and the staff. Listen to these remarks. The rabbis taught that when Tamar asked Judah for his signet, cord, and staff, she spoke prophetically. The signet expressed the many kings who would descend from the line of Judah and Tamar. The cord suggests the authority that would be exhibited by Israel's many rulers. And the staff signified the coming of the King Messiah through their lineage. Interesting. The events of Genesis 38 point to God's promise in Genesis 49 and verse 10 that through the tribe of Judah, the Messiah would come. And lastly... The account of Judah and Tamar provides a glimpse of God's amazing graciousness and goodness. The witness of God that he leaves and establishes for himself proved to us that yes, even in the midst of what seems to be wrong, God is working that he can make it right. We were all wrong. The moment we were born, we were wrong. The scriptures are clear that it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us. 
But then God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He shed his blood. And through his precious blood, we can be washed. I love what Isaiah describes it as being whiter than snow. Though our sins be as scarlet, they should be whiter than snow. Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? These matriarchs of the Messiah point us to a reality of truth. And the truth is this, is that God so loved the world that he's going to give his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Have you trusted Jesus Christ for your eternal life? I'm not asking if you've done certain works. I'm not not even concerned of whether you are behaving yourself. I'm asking you, have you trusted Jesus Christ? If you have, then the scriptures are clear. You have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. But if you have not, the other side of that coin is he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You can have life today by just trusting in Christ and Christ alone. If you've never done that, if you have never asked Jesus or trusted in Jesus to be your lamb that covered your sin, then I ask you to come talk to me. Talk to Pastor Isaac. Talk to the elders. Don't leave until you know for sure that you have eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this morning. The wonder of your word that speaks to us of the reality that we are faced with each and every day. And the glory that we've seen that your plan will not be thwarted by anything that man can design. We may not understand fully the implication here that we've read in Genesis 38. But we can still see around us situations of life that cause us to stop and think and wonder what is this world coming to. And the answer is very clear. It's coming to an end. The king is coming. And God, I pray today that if there be someone here that does not know if they have eternal life, does not know if they are going to heaven, that they won't leave until they ask someone who can share with them how they may know they can have eternal life. There can be no greater gift to get than to have everlasting life so God you work in our hearts and we'll praise you and thank you in your name amen